Hey guys, welcome to the re-release of Mark Evan Jackson's episode of Boys of Summer. I apologize for the poor sound quality. I'm recording this on my phone and every direction I go, there's some sort of ambient sound, be it voices, uh, wind chimes, or in this case, a train. Um, But I wanted to get this intro out because I wanted to uh, just tell you that the reason that we decided to do this re-release is, of course, I unfortunately have not had a chance I haven't really had any downtime at all to record an episode this week, but um, also Mark Evan Jackson has a brand new podcast where he uh, covers the wonderful show he's also on, The Good Place, so you should definitely check that out, and I'm also very proud to be participating in a fundraiser for his amazing Detroit Creativity Project at Largo in Los Angeles on July 6th, so if you uh, head to the Largo website or just Google, you know, Detroit Creativity Project fundraiser Largo, uh, you will have access to the ticket link. I will post that on Twitter and uh, Instagram, of course, as well. And uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to Shannon post-surgery. I hope you're doing great and recovering wonderfully, Shannon. Uh, So please enjoy this episode and I will, uh, I'm going to try my best to get an episode for next week because there are some great guys here in Atlanta that I would love to podcast. All right. Hope everyone's well. Now entering... Nerdist.com Never podcast someone in a full suit. And it already feels, I feel a lot of pressure to be very official. And it's you on top of which. It couldn't just be some like goofy person who is just like, I'm just a goof with my suit on. It has to be you who carries dignity with you if you're wearing like a barrel and suspenders. I was under the impression this podcast was televised. Uh-huh. Um, to many viewers. Right. Like with, an, with a live studio audience. Probably. I'll tell you what, technology is changing. I don't see a single camera in here. It's good, isn't it? It's wild. They're all lipstick cams. Wow. What if you just saw tubes of lipstick everywhere? <laughs> I misunderstood what. I've done a lot of, uh, early on in my career, I did a lot of hidden camera television um, scare tactics. And Is that like when that. we first kind of met? How Is well it? did we know each other? Did we do that thing for Avalon together? We did. Am I remembering that right? We knew each other pretty well at I that point. I guess we knew each other from Thrilling. I guess from Thrilling. I have and- really bad sense of chronology of when things Me too. happen. Oh, I do too. Especially... Um, because it feels like uh, it's in a, a vortex or a warp field right now. Like um, I've lived in Los Angeles for like 15 years and emotionally it feels like 40. Right. But chronologically it feels like maybe four and a half. Yeah. I feel the same way. It sort yeah. of stalls out in the same way that I think people are like, I kind of still feel like I'm blank age. Like I had this conversation with some friends not long ago. My age is 27. Like yeah. when I, um, I bought a new car not long ago, and it's nice. And I was like, not bad for a 20... No, I'm 44 years old. Well, I think I might even think I'm younger, which is probably why I started this podcast. Because I was just saying, uh, when I was podcasting my friend Amir Talai, I don't know if you know him. I do. uh, Not well, but I do. uh, I like that guy. The improvising world, yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. He's so great. But we we were talking, and I was saying, I feel like I... um, 
I still worry when I see cops and mm-hmm. when I see like young people, I was telling them I was, I see skateboarders. I won't repeat myself overly, but, <laughs> and I feel like I give them a nod, like what's up? We're the same, right. which that clearly without having thought about it, that clearly means I think I'm like 18, which is terrible. It's not terrible. I think it, uh, I think it keeps you youthful and, and keeps your perspectives open and, and joyful with hope. Um, I think for the record that I am such a late bloomer that my 27 is probably equivalent to your 18. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. 27 is where I was like beginning to live for the first time. Mm. Yeah, truly. What, okay. What changed around 27? So you can actually look at life events that kind of contribute to that roughly. 27 is when I uh, moved away from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Detroit to join the second city and uh, and it's when I was like really on my own. I had gone to school in Grand Rapids. I went to college there and had moved away briefly uh, for a couple of summers How to go sailing. How big is Grand Rapids? I don't know. But I've never been to Michigan. I kind of regret that. Never I really want to go to Detroit. Oh, you should come to the D. I know. I really want to. Yeah, the D is pretty great. I've never been more. I mean, the magnetism of this, the everything that I know about that city before and leading up to kind of the the pride that that's existed for the last several years yeah. um, is just so interesting and exciting and it's unlike any other city in the United States in terms of its own its own reputation its own history and kind of its own like Phoenicianness rising from the flames sort of stuff I grew up in Buffalo New York and so Detroit is my adopted home and that's sort of what I mean about like living in Los Angeles for 15 years I lived in Detroit for three years three and a half years maybe and during that time it became home yeah. like it's kind of where I did like life grad school and comedy grad school. And I think that that's why it's such a, a formative place, but uh, for me personally, but uh, there's just a spirit there. You know, a lot of my friends that, uh, that I made there, you know, many of whom now live in Los Angeles and, and have great careers. Like I think a lot of us owe some of our career to the scrappiness mm-hmm. and the hard work nature of, of Detroit. And um, it's a no brainer to think about giving back and going back and, um, a lot of uh, my wife and I, along with several of my friends, have started a charity back in Detroit to teach improv in the public schools. I just love that, and um, it's just—I don't know. This, there's a spirit about that city that um, you'll be there, and you'll be in a you know a dive bar or on a, a lonely corner, and you're like, I wish everybody could see this. Hmm. Like this is a neat place, and you can feel the history, the mm-hmm. automotive history, and the the U.S. history that went on there. But Michigan as a whole is just a gorgeous state. I don't have a ton of. Uh, interface with the Upper Peninsula, but um, Lower Michigan, which is the one shaped like the your hand, mm-hmm. is gorgeous. I went to school in Grand Rapids. I used to live up in Traverse City and did a lot of sailing up there. And uh, wait, so you grew up in Buffalo <laughs> and then you moved to Grand Rapids for college? That's right. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it. And I was there for. So it's not like you stayed. I almost. I imagined you. You saying like you didn't have your formative years because you stayed and went to college in the same place that you grew up. I guess I didn't put. No, that I don't correctly. know. I just. Uh, I grew up in a in Amherst, New York, which is a very sort of. I suppose. I suppose it's changing now, but um, it was consistently when I was in growing up and in high school. It was uh, often in the top five of U.S. News and World Reports, like safest places to live, oh, kind bless. of thing. And what I is the what is the industry like there, if anything? Nothing. None. Just I mean, like a, how big is that? Is it like a Buffalo? I don't know. It's oh, small. Buffalo. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Buffalo is uh, so Amherst is just a suburb of Buffalo, although the city's growing out now to encroach. But I, I mean, it's not huge. It's way under. You said Crouch. Sorry, Crouch. Um, the uh, <laughs> it's. There was industry in Buffalo until the 1950s. There was steel and um, 
Buffalo is just up the river from Niagara Falls. So all oh, of the there great, you go. Okay. All the Great Lake shipping used to come to Buffalo and put all of their freight onto trains to send it to the eastern seaboard. I love that you're I'm at, you actually have the history in hand. I love sailing and stuff. I love this stuff. Um, in, 19, in the 1950s, they built the Welland Canal, which is a series of locks that, to connect Lake Erie to Lake Ontario and thereby bypassing Niagara Falls and, and Buffalo. So mm-hmm. ships could go all the way out to the ocean, throughout the, out Lake Ontario, out the St. Lawrence Seaway, and come around to the eastern seaboard. So uh, Buffalo became like a backwater. And so yeah. the, over time, the steel mills and the manufacturing and all that stuff dried up. It used to be a giant hub where, you know, like a meaningful port where everything, all the grain and all the ore and all the coke that came from Superior and Duluth right, and Chicago right. would uh, stop in Buffalo and, and make its way to a train. And so it used to be a giant, you know, depot. And now, now it's not. I don't know what the industry is there. I mean, they're, Isn't they're interesting that you went from this one place. I mean, there are obviously a lot of American cities and towns who experienced that. My dad writes about ghost towns and mining camps on, on the no west way. side of the United States. Really? So I'm always very fascinated you by the sort of thing that I do. I really do. <laughs> um, uh, fascinated by things like that, because that's kind of what I grew up in is this sort of like, well, yeah. this used to be a thing and then it stopped being a thing because of this. And now it's empty. Um, and obviously that's not the case with Buffalo, but anything like that where you sort of watch progress divert you know it's itself um um, there are but you went from that to that you ended in detroit is interesting because here are these two kind of iconic cities in very similar cities uh the difference being that that there is still an auto industry in detroit but detroit i mean they are very similar rust belt cities like they both sound like bruce springsteen songs possibly billy joel songs (laughs) on a bad day (laughs) um i think of that as not a not a non-compliment as a compliment, it, kind of. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from. Of, of, uh, an artistic, fierce protection of a place that kind of once was or mm-hmm. has lost some of its luster in some way. No, that's a compliment. I'll accept that. Both Buffalo and Detroit have, um, they each have giant old train stations that are abandoned. And they are both profound. And it's it's so easy to stand outside them and in the movie in your mind have it go from you know uh ghost town and crickets and color to sepia and checker cabs yeah, and ladies with the bustle. uh seams up their stockings and hat boxes yeah. and you can just feel what it must have been like yeah. because these would have been skyscrapers at the time i mean they're probably both um they're both large buildings even by today's standards but you know a, a an 18 or 20 story building back then, you know, back in the twenties and thirties sure. like, would have been a, a monument to sure. success and in industry. Um, they're fascinating uh, places. Yeah. Fascinating Do you, have you places. been to the train station? I'm sure you have in, in LA. Mm-hmm. Union station. Yeah, yeah. That feels to me downtown. Like when you go inside that for all of the, the crazy, amazing skyscrapers and all of that, mm-hmm. that is the exactly the kind of place, such a cliche and I feel like stupid doing it. But every time I go in there, I feel strongly compelled to say, they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> <laughs> We're not building buildings like this anymore. <laughs> you really, it really has that <laughs> oh, sense of, to it, you know, that you don't have when you can walk into a skyscraper and be like, oh, this is impressive glass and steel, I guess. But it, you know, the the feeling of workmanship and the sort of pomposity that you still feel not in a shitty way, but that, you know, that's, right. that's impressive on a totally different level. I had a, uh, I've wondered this for years and then somebody finally put the kibosh on it not long ago. Um, 
Because I do feel that way about architecture. Like Union Station, what you're describing, the the interior is lined with tile. Yeah. And I mean, just the design of of making effectively giant images with tiny tiles yeah. um, is amazing. And then the the seating in there are these giant overbuilt wooden craftsman sort yeah, of, art, sort of deco. art deco beautiful tons like of detail beautifully designed beautifully designed very like what heavy. a special place and right. now you sort of see it as kind of like you see homeless people sleeping in there and you right. see it's a real juxtaposition of those two things but and when i when i uh flash back to when they were building it you know they wanted it to last a hundred years they wanted and and now we could do that sort of thing we could build gorgeous buildings with any materials we choose mm. far more cheaply, you would think. Yeah. Um, and instead we build, you know, uh, drywall boxes that are, you know, just horrendous. Yeah. And municipal buildings and, and churches used to be, you know, palaces. And um, it's, you know, it's long been confounding to me why we don't do that anymore. And, uh, and somebody was like, somebody recently, you know, threw cold water on it was like, oh, well, we, we built that on the back of slaves and we paid... <laughs> We, we paid immig- we paid immigrants Chinese nothing. Chinese immigrants. We paid Japanese immigrants, immigrants nothing to work yeah. for yeah. twenty four hours a day until it got built. Yeah, you know, we paid like gifted craftspeople nothing to build these buildings. Yeah, is how we did it, and there were no Ooh, safety standards and no labor standards. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. Um, so please enjoy your drywall boxes. I guess so, huh? Mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, and remember, every time you walk in, feel horrible. Every time you walk into mm-hmm, a beautiful mm-hmm. building. Um, what uh, what took you to Grand Rapids? What what school was it that you wanted to go to? I went to Calvin College. I'm a graduate of Calvin College, and I went to Calvin College because I was raised in a in a Christian family. Um, my parents were uh, were very devout, thoughtful, spiritual people. Brothers um, and sisters. What's that? Brothers and sisters. They were brothers and sisters. I mean, do you have brothers and sisters? <laughs> my, my parents were brother and sister. <laughs> I'm glad I was able to just ask it out right like that. Usually I would really cloak that in something. I'll tell but... you what, most televised yeah. podcasts take far longer to get into the... If you could look at the lipstick cam uh, directly in front of you, I'd appreciate it. That looks like lipstick. Yeah. Um, I uh, I have an older brother and an older sister. I'm the youngest by a bunch. Um, mm-hmm. My brother's nine years older than I am and my sister's 11 years older than I am. And is that your delicate way of saying you were a surprise? No, that is my delicate way of saying that there was a child in between who passed away from oh. sudden infant death syndrome about oh, no. five or seven years before I came along. Oh, I'm so sorry. I had nothing to do with it. Well, um, did you though? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, you know, it was a traumatic event and my parents, uh, I think, needed some time. Oh my God, They insisted, uh, my parents insisted that I was deliberate. I couldn't care less. Right. I'm, I know, it doesn't I'm really. I'm here yeah. and I'm going to do it. There you go. Um, the... Uh, so yeah, I, I'm uh, my brother's nine years older than I am, and my sister's eleven years older than I am. So interestingly, I, I grew up um, simultaneously as the youngest of three children child. and an only child yeah. with four parents. Yeah, because I'd get That's in trouble, funny. you know, downstairs and go up to my room, and there'd be a knock on the door, and my siblings would come in and be like, "What did you do?" Oh. It's like <laughs> I'm already in trouble for this. Yeah, go away. Yeah, like, or they would do the generation, you know, they're sort of a half a generation ahead of me, so they would come in and they go. If I had said that to mom, right. I would have been hit. Right. And it's like, no, come on. <laughs> also, I don't, that's not mine. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Um, but I grew up in a religious family and uh, went to, you know, was very active in the church um, 
in Sunday school and youth groups and Bible studies. And what kind of it was an independent? I say that as a you know a person raised in the Mormon Church. I'm interested in like different. In what's real? Yeah. <laughs> Is it real? Which one's real? Which one's real, Mark? I have bad news. They're all fake. Huh. They're all the huh. fakest. So this was an independent, it was a Protestant denomination, an independent Baptist church, not not Southern Baptist. I'm not even certain what that means. But do they teach you, total side note, but please. related, do they teach you the to difference? Mormons? Yes. <laughs> please say yes. Do they teach you the difference between, like, no. do they teach you why? You know what I'm saying? Because, like, with Mormons, it is all about, like, here is where we divided from blah, 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 and this is how, you okay. know, this is how this church was formed because it's so new and fresh. Uh, <laughs> and they're very proud of that. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of, you know, uh, mythology. And, and, and I'm always interested, like, like I, I've did, I guess I've never asked that before, but, like, if a Baptist is told, like, why they're Baptist, Protestant, why they're Protestant, Anglican, why they're Anglican. That the thing, that, thing. Uh, that we were taught... Um, no, the answer flatly is no. But the the thing that we were taught, the thing that distinguished the church that I went to from other churches, uh, both Baptist and and including all Protestant churches, and I suppose uh, Catholic churches as well, is that the they would not baptize infants. They did believers' baptism. So when mm-hmm. you were thirteen or so, yep. uh, they would have you give a profession of faith. Uh, in front of the church, mm-hmm. and then they would physically dunk you in a yep. uh, small hot tub. You have that uh, when you're eight in the Mormon church. Is that right? And it's a, a real point of pride. Is it? It's like, we're not going to baptize you until right. you know that you are doing the right thing and right. you believe. At eight? At eight. Isn't that beautiful? Because <laughs> uh, yeah. what eight-year-old's going to be like, I've thought a lot about this. Guys. My entire family and community. <laughs> after <laughs> significant decided, introspection. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to pass. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and pass. Um, I never did it. I, I don't you know. Didn't. I didn't do it. I don't know how I escaped or... or I thought about not doing it. Yeah. At eight, I definitely was like, I don't know about those. I don't know why. I think there was always a skepticism in my in my brain. Um, I think <clears throat> my parents were, were very thoughtful and, and open-hearted people. And I think that they knew that I could sense that I don't know why we would like damn other people to hell because of accidents of birth like they were born on a different continent and born in a different structure going to their version of my church and uh why we would assume that uh that we need to cross oceans and go tell them that they're fucking it up um it's i from a very early age that was confounding to me yeah uh not so confounding though that i so when i went away to school um when i was looking at colleges that is i i was a i'm not a good student i'd never have been um like I, I read very that slowly. That surprises me, I have to say. I know. I just dress this way. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, oh, this is going to be great if I can just unmask all the intimidation that I feel about oh, you, how you together shouldn't. and dignified you are. It's going to be great. It's all this facade. Really great. Oh, it's just clothing. Wonderful. Yeah. It's not just clothing. You have a whole... If you mean like v- verbal and presentational clothing from your mouth and uh, your brain, then uh, also Not yes. what I meant. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, thank you, I guess. I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I love learning, but I don't, uh, my wife is a person that you could send away. She wouldn't have needed college. You could have sent her away with a library and she'll would have read the whole thing yeah. and come back and gone, what, can I take a test? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, I would build forts of those books. Um, <laughs> and At least you wouldn't set them on fire. Would you? Only. As only, an accident? Only some. Yeah. Um, the Book of Mormon. Number one, sure. Uh, the Bible. Great. The Dhammapada. Wonderful. The Bhagavad Gita. Sounds good. And the 
Squirrels of Hammurabi. Great. Um, the, and just uh, like the Beatles' White Album <laughs> lyrics. The so when I went away, I didn't like. I was a de- like I could. I had decent grades, but not good. I um, there was nothing obvious for me to study, with the exception of music. I studied a lot of music growing up. Um, and what do you mean by like? In what way did you study it? I played the piano from age six. I uh, started taking piano lessons when I was six years old and uh, took piano lessons all the way through my junior year in high school, after which I started playing a lot more because it just just became fun. And I, so I just, you know, that was how I got hired at the Second City. I was initially the musical director for the touring company and the main stage company before I was an actor on stage with them. Um, But then I played uh, percussion from fifth grade on, French horn from seventh grade on, all the way through college. I, in my college band and college orchestra, I played, uh, I would rotate between French horn and percussion. How fun. And uh, three vastly different. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like not uncommon for someone to play drums and bass or for someone to play, you know, right. I was going to say piano and keyboards. Piano I need to keyboards. excuse myself. <laughs> I need to recuse myself from judging this podcast. Uh, this televised podcast. This televised podcast. I no, but you know, I mean, those are, that's like, mm-hmm. I mean, they that's were- got to be three of the groups of, that you would hear in an orchestra. What are there? Strings, percussion, horns, brass, brass, woodwinds, brass. Yeah. woodwinds. You yeah. didn't cover woodwinds. No, I've uh, I took up clarinet home from Where school. Where does the piano go? String. It's a yeah, it's a string instrument technically. Because there are strings in the back. There are <laughs> lots of them. Um, there are strings in the back is not how anyone has ever described a piano. <laughs> that's, I think that's the title of your autobiography. Uh, there are strings in the back, everybody. So I studied uh, I studied a lot of music, and including um, vocal stuff. I didn't do a ton. I sang in church choirs and things like that. Um, and even did, you know, handbell choir and stuff like that at school, at church. Rather. Which I, by the way, only recently knew was a thing and even found out what it was. Handbell? Because of a podcast. Yeah, I had really? no idea what a bell choir was. Oh, yeah. I had to learn. I was going to say I had to learn the hard Which, way, but there's no hard way to learn about a bell choir. Oh, I think there's probably a very <laughs> I uh So I went, everybody thought I was going to study music when I went over to school. And I had just learned, having quit lessons in, in 11th grade, uh, that... I didn't want to make it work. I didn't like if I had to study music and really, you know, break it apart and study history and theory, then it would no longer become fun. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to do that. Um, I had no idea what I was going to study, but I had gone to, I grew up in a place that was um, the public schools in Amherst. I don't know what they are like now, but at the time they were really very good. Mm -hmm. And so not many, I mean, some, but not many people went to private schools and my family was not ever in a financial position to send me to, to a private school. Um, but I knew that <clears throat> I, I wanted a, like an academic basis in the Bible. I wanted to go like, let's look into this historically because hmm. a lot of this seems like it's cobbled together by men. Um, and so I went away, I looked at um, a handful of Christian colleges. A lot of my friends from home went to a school outside of Chicago called Wheaton. So I didn't want to go there because I really did want to kind of press reset and, mm. you know, get away from, I mean, I didn't have a tumultuous upbringing or anything, but um, I was kind of a wallflower and just wanted a place that I could be new and be me or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I looked at a school in Boston, a school outside of Pittsburgh, uh, a school in the middle of nowhere in the southern tier of uh, New York State, and then Calvin College in Michigan, all of which were relatively small. Um, some of them were very small, like 1,200 student kind of small liberal arts colleges. And then Calvin was bigger. Calvin at the time was like 4,000 students, 4,500 students, something like that. And um, all of those schools, my parents were very cool. And they took a weekend each and drove me to these places to like spend the weekend and, and you know meet with students. And I think even stay in the dorms at a couple of them. 
And uh, so I got to visit all these schools, and all these schools were pledge schools, uh, meaning that you had to sign a pledge saying you wouldn't drink, dance, or smoke. Oh, my. While enrolled at the school, including How summers. How footloosean. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and with the exception of the time of, like, dancing, I guess, maybe smoking. I smoked a pipe since I was in, like, 10th grade. Oh, God. I uh, just love you every, more every moment. <laughs> uh, but, like, it, I wasn't a big drinker or anything at the time. <laughs> You know, because I, I, I was come 17. Back to the fact that you smoked a pipe since tenth grade. By the way, I also dabbled in pipe smoking. It's the best. I've all. I think I secretly always wanted to be like a gentleman growing up in the late eighteen hundreds. <laughs> I think I've when I think about show. the clothes I get excited about really? and like habits. Yeah. If I could have a bespoke suit and smoke a pipe thoughtfully, I think I'd be pretty happy. What are you doing this afternoon? I mean, <laughs> are you free? Yeah. We, Janet, we can make all these dreams all come right, true. All right. Um, so it, it just felt like, like even as a kid that grew up pretty straight laced, like I didn't have, I, I didn't do a lot of drinking in high school. I did almost no drinking in and high school. And you had no, you didn't really have a curiosity about it either. I had a fear. I, 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 I was, so, fear was so instilled in me. Because uh, I think I'm projecting back your self-awareness and your sort of understanding and, com- and comfort with who you are now. Mm. I'm projecting that back. I'm insisting oh, gosh, no. to project it back because the way you describe it, it's like, did you have the self-awareness at the time of knowing I wanted a clean slate? I wanted to be able to sort of develop into something different or was it not articulated to yourself in that way? It's that, is that more like you have the perspective now to say, you know what? I guess what I really wanted was a fresh start or were you thinking to yourself like I'm perceived in this one way by people and I would like to not, I'd like to have the opportunity to not be perceived that way. I think some of each, but but you're probably right. Like I think that that's mostly me looking back, going, "I needed this change for this reason." I know I did. I knew that I didn't want to go to uh, Wheaton College because I knew a handful of people there, and I wanted. I I did know at the time that I wanted a change. Right. Like I didn't want to carry, you know, just stupid small town baggage. And, sure. And there's nothing, but just like I don't know who you went to the prom with or whatever, or you know, right? Like. The perhaps the most insular clique that I was part of was the youth group at my church, and it was some of those guys that were that were there, and including being a couple of years ahead of me or whatever. So I don't know; it was just not that interesting. Mm-hmm. But um, I grew up very fearful. Like I think that that was the the sort of you know lead foot of God kind of thing. Like I, it was also the the era. So it was like the 80s or whatever. Mm. And when we were leaving, getting ready to leave sixth grade in elementary school and go to what we then termed a junior high mm-hmm. for seventh through, I guess just seventh and eighth. I yeah, think. that's how I had it My, too. Because it was all changing. That surprises a lot of people. Yeah. Like My, people are like, what? You went to, just for two years, you went to a separate school? That uh, This was the only indication, the only time that that happened uh, because my freshman class was the first to be at the high school. Mm. Um it used to be seven, eight, nine, I guess. But they, in sixth grade, in health class, and it felt like every class, they showed us show, so many movies about drugs huh. that I was convinced, and I had nightmares the summer after my sixth grade oh. year, that day one of seventh grade, someone was going to push me up against a, oh a locker, stick a needle in my arm, <laughs> and, I, and I'd be a junkie for life. And so the notion of trying Those anything... Those videos were effective. They were effective. Yeah. Somebody would push me against the locker, inject me, and I'd be standing on the freeway overpass, <laughs> dazzled by the lights, about to fall into traffic. Like they, sh- I, I felt like they just kept them on a loop. Yeah. So I grew up so fearful of that. Uh, sex was the same way. They, p- people would be like, you know, like it felt like they taught you like 
if you were to even think about being naked with a girl, she's going to be pregnant. Right. Your life is ruined. Yeah. You have AIDS. Yes. You know, like all like. So I was super fearful about all of life. Did you have friends who had this sort of huge 180 where like they may have kind of grown up in a fear-based not just that feels oh, mean sure. to you, the culture but who, no. who were just like My fuck culture. this and just like were oh, sure. was sort of the mag- the magnetism of that fear became like exploitative in some way and they were like I got to do all this oh the shaved heads and tattoos and yeah. piercings and and rock and roll and yeah. and sometimes almost literally overnight uh-huh. like they'd come to school the next day and be like who I mean that's kind of what happened to me i guess I, was, really? I wasn't that square but these guys know like the transition for me between eighth grade and freshman year was absolute you did and, something. like i got super excited about being goth really yeah are there photos of this oh yeah oh i can't wait not as many as i would like because we just didn't take that many pictures back then, no i was seems crazy like my younger yeah. listeners are like i don't understand how do you not have pictures of all of this but right. i'm like i don't know i have to like thumb through a box of <laughs> right. shit and like hope that it's something that's in focus right you know no, you asked for a photograph for this from my teenage years, yeah. and it was like uh, we just had a storage space fire, I don't know, a year ago or something in Venice, and uh, like a lot of that stuff is gone mm. now. A lot of that stuff is gone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, we did not have the full accumulation of all human knowledge in our pocket yeah, exactly. and on a phone with any photos we wanted. Yeah. Um, so I so don't, you did have friends who, yeah, who sort of, and you, and you looked at them without, so you never had that sort of like... I'm I'm interested in that. There was a kid who uh, was very cool. He decided, like, I think over a summer, to come back effectively living his life as though he were one of the stray cats. <laughs> like Brian Setzer. Or, sure. You know, like, so sure. big pompadour and uh, uh, spectator shoes that were, you know, white on top and black on the sides yep, and, yep. and hush puppies and, yeah. and short jeans and... You know, kind of like greaser. Roll, roll up your sleeves. Yeah. With a cigarette box. And I think it. he also taught himself to play like a hollow-bodied guitar right. and have a band. Like, right. Um, and I don't know. I, I admired that. Like, I mean, some people, you know, take wild flails in a direction and you're like, oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, it was like, wow, you've done it. Like, you've transformed. Yeah. Like, you've exited the cocoon, a different dude. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And anyway, so you didn't date. You weren't. You just weren't. I know. Really I totally did it. Oh, you did. But like clumsily but and very fearfully. Yeah. Clammy hands. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, the first time I made out with a girl, I was like, "Well, I guess I'm a dad now." <laughs> um, I mean, just so fearful, <sighs> so fearful. Um, but even with that in mind, these pledges that these three colleges, three of the four, wanted you to sign, saying you wouldn't drink, dance, or smoke while enrolled at the school, including like holidays and all mm-hmm, summer. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, hang on a second. We're, I was 17 at the time, but I was like, you're 18, 19, 20. Like, this is when you're supposed to do that stuff. Yeah. This is when you're supposed to drink too much and vomit in the backyard and go like, I, I maybe shouldn't do that again. Right. You know, like, this right. is when you're supposed to make some mistakes. And just to, to try to catch you in a technicality so that if they found out about it, they could kick you out of their school. Yeah. Seemed really uh, mean-spirited. But and, isn't this such a... But like, look, and your, your same decision to, to be this person who is still steeped in this kind of world and your relationship to it, but to have the presence of mind to not be baptized and to not sign a pledge, I just think is so interesting. I guess. I don't know. I wouldn't have, like, I didn't... Turns see- out you're an interesting person. Well, who would have thought? My jury's still out. <laughs> um, it, it, I mean, I definitely felt that way. I, I definitely knew that I didn't want to 
do that. And I, I hadn't passed judgment because the, the order that we did them in, it was the three pledge schools first. And then we drove to Michigan, my parents and I, and we're driving on a road through the middle of campus where all the dorms are. And on butcher paper, stretched across Boltheins Timmer, one of the dorms, it said, all campus dance tonight, field house. And I was like, something's different about this oh, school. Sure. And Calvin is a school that is part of the Christian Reformed Church, which is a, a Protestant denomination. And it's got a super heavy Dutch influence. Mm-hmm. And the Dutch love to smoke, mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. love to drink. And I mean, I, guess, I suppose they're abstemious uh, Hollanders, but they like not drinking wasn't uh, not smoking. So they're not equating those things with goodness in, no. in the same way that no, other, it's yeah. dark there a lot of mm-hmm, the year. Sure. Um, so they, I don't know. It was just a cool school that was like you can do whatever you want. I mean, they didn't want alcohol on campus. But at the time, there were smoking dorms even, mm-hmm. and there were wow. dances and stuff. And it, I think also by virtue of its size, um, I think it was like 4,000 students when I was there. And the difference between a, a twelve or 1,500 student school and a 4,000 student school is significant. Mm-hmm. And I think given that larger population, you'll have more people spreading out into the corners. So you have people, you know, somewhat more diverse. I mean, it's still pretty white and uh, and... And not a lot of diversity in that regard. But there were people that had, you know, they just brought more uh, schools of thought and interests and and, and hobbies and, and skills to the table. And um, so I loved my time there. I, I really enjoyed it. And what know. did you end up studying since it wasn't music? I cobbled together a major, you know, the, liberal uh, arts. The, 11th, the 11th hour of my uh, junior year because I had to, uh, of things that I wanted. So I have... A BA in philosophy with minors in political science and environmental studies, and I'm like a course or two short from French, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from a minor in French. It's great. Just stuff that I wanted to. It's great. Yeah. It's great. I got a great education despite my efforts. Like I'm, I'm not a guy. I I graduated college because of two girlfriends that you know, two different women that I dated during my time there. That uh, it, it was like, well, they're they're good students who are going to be in the library. I guess I'm going to be in the library, and it's mm-hmm. like. Well, they're not going to let me build forts out of these books, so I guess I better right. read some. Now, in my mind, you're dating them both at the same time. I recognize. I know. That's I knew as real, soon as I said it's it. It's a really delicious idea for a second. No, here's who I am. Um, I I dated them in direct succession, but sure. um, I always thought it would be fun to like when my when I would look around at my single friends. I always thought like, why aren't you? Why is the why are the stakes so high? Like, go on a date with somebody on a Friday. Date somebody different on a Saturday. If you kiss them, you kiss them. If you don't, you don't. Mm-hmm. Why is this all so... And this is all my, you know... I mean, I wouldn't have done that because of my very fear, fearful upbringing. But it was like, experience life. Like, go and... Don't put so much emphasis on all of this. Go and meet people and have fun and whatever. I was not that guy. I would go on a date with a girl. And then three years later, we would break up. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? <laughs> After having it yeah. been like a tiny marriage or yes. whatever. Like a very you know, regular thing. And, um, that's one, the one of the things that I do regret not having dated either of these women, cause they're both fantastic people. Um, but there wasn't a lot of room in between. Mm-hmm. I think I broke up with one on a Sunday and I had a date with the next one on a Friday and then <laughs> we dated for like four years or something, yeah. you know? And I think that's, that's all. I mean, I know a lot of people like that too, who, from all different sort of upbringings and schools of, I mean, I, I think there is like, I don't know. That's really common, right? That sort of serial monogamy, I think is really common. I did it for a long time. I mean, I, you know, I sort of have patches where it's not so much that, but mm-hmm. I think there is sort of this, 
I don't know where that comes from because because so many different people that I know do that, but there is some sense of it's almost like I guess it's just maybe it's just rooted in like this sort of blind optimism like if maybe. I like this person now, I must be in love with them. Right. Like they must be the best thing that's ever happened to me because you don't you're as a young especially as a younger person, maybe you're less conditioned or most of us are less conditioned probably because of the movies and stuff. Right. To think like, you know what? I'm just trying this on. This might not be a fit. Right. It took me a long time to really come to understand that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Like as an adult, I had to figure that out to go, oh, actually, you know what? It's okay that we dated for a couple of months and it didn't work out. And that's not anyone's fault or, you know what I mean? And that right. I didn't have to sort of like hunker down and be like, we're together though. We're together for reals. Right. It it seems like such a commitment to say, I'm dating this person as though like, I accept everything about them, yeah. uh, bar none. And... It's it's as though saying like, yes, I've painted my house that color, and I'm going to live with it for thirty years. Yeah, you know, like I don't yeah. know, I don't know. The stakes should be lower. Like, um, and obviously we're living in a di- different generation now, where I think uh, sex is far more casual, and you know, porn is on everyone's phone next to their photos, uh-huh. mixed in with their photos. Uh-huh. Um, but it's just a it is a different a different time, and I think that um, I don't know. I wish that if I had it to go back to, I, I think that I would have met more people and taken more people to dinner and, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. I don't regret a single thing with the exception of a very brief period between uh, two of my girlfriends. But I've, right. I've re- with the only a couple of exceptions, I've remained friends with most of the women I've dated because I, like, these people were generally my friends first. Mm-hmm. And... At no point with like a guy friend of mine would I be like, you know what, screw you forever. Let's right. never talk again. Like right. there may have been something that happened and we have to work it out or whatever. But um, with very few exceptions, most of the women that I've you know either dated briefly or more commonly for a long time, um, after a couple of years of like you know passing, because like oftentimes like the next two dudes they date, it's like ugh, that guy's an <laughs> um, But you know. Once everybody's life settles into something like, yeah. I think it makes sense to be friends. And obviously, the, the internet makes that stuff really possible. Um, one thing about serial monogamy that was a phenomenon that happened at, at Calvin College that I dubbed uh, musical chairs is that it was not uncommon uh, because in the you know in in that faith or or what have you, premarital sex is frowned upon. Mm. So uh, people really, by the time that they're like 20, 21, really would like to have sex. Yeah. So Same with Mormons. What? what? Same, same with Mormons. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yes. I thought you said same with women. I was like, not from my experience. <laughs> no, it's like you're not supposed to have sex. And so right. everyone gets married so young. Yeah, which is and the these worst idea missionaries, The missionaries go away when they're at their like sexual peak. Yep. And they're totally cut off from any of that. And then they come back and just, I mean, this is um, grand you sure. know, overstatements. And like no, many of these marriages succeed in a time when no marriages succeed anymore. Right. But I would like, I would marry the first person that I was like, I think I want to have sex with this person. I better get married. Right. No, that's super common. So one of two things, I mean, some of them are successful, I suppose. <laughs> but I have tons of friends who would had dated somebody for like two or three years during college. They broke up the senior year. They started dating somebody else. And like uh, two months before graduation, we're like, we're engaged. And it's like, you've been dating for a month. Like, what do you mean you're engaged? And because there is such a, you know, it's frowned upon to be divorced. A lot of these people got married at like 21. Mm. 
had kids, didn't have kids, whatever. But like either they're still in a marriage with which they're unhappy or they're divorced and are completely ashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's Speaking no reason for stakes. either. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just, I mean, and you go, you know, if they had just... If they had just waited, if they had, I mean, I, uh, I tell my nieces and nephews, like, I will allow you to begin thinking about marriage at 30, uh-huh. like go and have lives yeah. and see stuff. Like, don't, I don't know. You just don't know enough about the world. Yeah. I felt like I was young to be getting married when I was 31, I think is when I got married. Yeah. And, uh, but it was like, okay, I think I can probably handle this at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but once again, here's this no- another thing where you're still you're still sort of in a world, but this sort of natural next commitment within your age group of that world, mm-hmm. you still are like, mm. right. I'll tell you what. I I was completely fine never getting married, and it wasn't it wasn't until I met my wife that I was like, oh well, I have to marry this person. Yeah. Like, uh, as a matter of fact, I met Beth. Um, in August of 2000, of 2000 at, at a time at which I already had plans to move here four months later to move to Los Angeles from Detroit. And so I met her and it was like, well, hang on, like this kind of could change everything. And we both just felt it. And I think that that's, you know, something that I would encourage people to look for in their lives of like, when it's, when you can't imagine not doing it yeah. is when you should do it. Don't force it. Don't go looking for it. There's, yeah. Don't apply artificial timelines of like, I have to get married by this date or whatever. Or I really want to be a mom. Like, Make sure that you want to be a mom with the guy that you're with or mm-hmm. with the girl that you're with or whatever. Like, I it, love that. I think yeah. that's so true. I oh. mean, I really think... I, well, that's... I don't know if I've said it before here on the podcast or if it's just something that has been coming up for me a lot in life, but that idea of choose the person is, um, can't, is it can't be overstated and I, it Mm-mm. really is still a thing. Like, it's still a thing that people are like, but I want to be married or, but I want to have a kid or, but I want, you know. Right. And to have sort of an idea of a picture that you just drop someone into right. versus letting not fair. the person dictate what the picture is going to look like. Because right. it might not be anything you ever imagined. No. You know, you might have this whole idea where you have this like paper doll cutout of someone. You think that there's this hole that needs to be filled because that's what you're projecting in your brain. And then you meet somebody and your heart tells you a whole different story, which is like, actually, I don't want to have kids. I want to travel the world with this person. Or actually, right. I do want to have kids because suddenly I want that. And that doesn't match anything that I, you know, set up for myself. And how about just don't set that up for yourself at all? The universe has in store for you far better things than you could ever lock in prematurely yeah. with limited data. Yeah. No, I mean, when, when you're available for things to, you know, delightful things to happen to you, um, which is not to say that you can't, you know, should sit on the couch waiting. But when you go out and you interface with different people and different cultures and different languages and different foods and, and places, you're going to come across people that you, you know. Uh, John Hodgman and I were having this conversation not long ago uh, because uh, uh, Buffalo is a bit of a black hole in my mind. Like, uh, uh, I know a lot of people that just kind of are still there. Yeah. Like, they just never left and you know, high school became grade 13 and, and they but just, don't you think that's true of any, I mean, don't you think any, I feel like everyone I know who isn't where they were mm-hmm. feels like that place 
has held on to some has people. A and maybe. That, yeah, and that people, they're it, like, I don't know, because I feel that way about Tucson. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand how a lot of my friends never left. Yeah. And I love Tucson. Sure. But I can't imagine my life. No. In any, I mean, I would be an entirely, I have to imagine I'd be an entirely different person. Hotman framed the relationship aspect of it in a way that I kind of love, where we were talking about, you know, like I, I told him, like, I love my family and I love uh, the area, but I could never imagine trying to carve out an identity in a place where it was already sealed, like my fate was already sealed. And with regard to like love and marriage, he was like, I think it's asking a lot of the universe to presume that the person with whom you're meant to be with for your entire life happens to have grown up within three miles of where you grew up. Like that's asking a lot of the universe. And there's a handful of people who would say, you know what though? That's what happened to me. Sure. You know, but that's a lot. That's a low number. Oh, I think it's small. Yeah, it's a small percentage. I know and, a couple and still of high fewer... sweethearts who are in, still in love, but that's it. Sure. Oh, don't date your high school sweetheart, please. Don't date your college sweetheart. Date your thirty-year-old sweetheart and think about marrying that person. Yeah. Oh, it's just too young. We just don't know enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of where the comedy kind of comes in, because I know that you entered into Second City as a as as a kind of a music person but obviously you still had an interest in comedy when you were in high school were, were you goofy were you silly were you like, was, where does that play I'm such in? a late bloomer i was a wallflower in high school um it's only been through facebook that uh that i have become aware that anybody has any memory of me from high school <laughs> like honest to goodness i i even said this when we played the the town hall in new york i had a drink afterwards with a couple of high school friends of mine and i was like I'm surprised you guys remember me. And they're like, that's stupid. Um, but I didn't like, I went away to college and wouldn't, I knew, I knew people that came home from, uh, on Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter or whatever, jonesing to see their high school friends to hit the bars or to, right. you know, be at somebody's house or whatever. And I had friends, but I never, I would come home for, you know, spring break and not see anybody like right. not see high school friends kind of thing. Um, no, I was a wallflower. I, um, I grew up in a funny household. My father was very funny. My father was, um, like acerbic and, and caustic and smart and kind Yeah, and all those things. So I was the kid in the back of the room going like, well, that's what, you know, that's what you think, mm-hmm. you know, well, Weisenheimer, but right. not, ever but not putting it out there about it. Yeah. No, I was maybe entertaining the person to my right or my left. Yeah. Um, but no, like very shy, not shy, but um, not like the class clown by any stretch. I mean, you're not that now. No. You know what I mean? You're not, you don't sort of right. present as like wacky. Right. No, my, <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, <laughs> my father was very funny. And so I, I got into Second City through music because I auditioned to be, um, to be on stage. I, uh, after Calvin College, the, um, a group of alumni from the theater department were putting together a short form improv troupe, a, a games troupe, kind of like the whose line is it anyway, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to come play piano for them. So I was at the very first rehearsal to play piano for them and had like a truly eureka moment mm-hmm. uh, uh, where it was like, Oh my goodness, I want to, we have to find somebody else to play the piano. Cause I want to do what you're doing forever. Yeah. Like I want to, and I even remember we started doing it initially for like gas money, like, you know, churches or whatever would have us come and do it on a Sunday night or whatever. And it was like, they gave us 20 bucks for gas. 
And I remember stating like fairly early on into our tenure, like, I don't want this to be my hobby anymore. Mm. I want to do this as my job. Mm-hmm. And I want to make, and I stated a number that seemed like crazy. I said, I, I want to do, I don't want to be rushing after my day job to come and do this. I want this to be my day job and I want to make $50,000 yeah, a year. That's exactly doing. the number I was going to guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 50,000. And they were like, this is, you know, 1994 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They were like, well, now we know he's nuts. Right. Like, right. This banana nut loaf just cited $50,000 <laughs> as, yeah. yeah. And, and um, turns out it's all possible. Um, but I, I, you know, you have to try things and you have to work at things. And I, um, I auditioned to be the musical director for the, I auditioned to be on stage in the Second City Touring Company and put all my music on my resume. And they called immediately and were like, hello. Cause it's far harder to find a, I'm sure. uh, someone that can, you know, make up songs on the go kind of thing. Yeah. And I was never very good at it. I, um, I say about my time cause I was the mu- musical director for the touring company and then the main stage company in for the second city Detroit. Um, I am a hack. Uh-huh. I'm I'm the best hack I've ever met. But like the guys that do it actually do it. Mm-hmm. They they can play things in any key. They know every style of music. I had a handful of crutchy go-tos mm-hmm. um and was able to I mean I studied music for a long time. So I have a decent background in it, but I can't do what some of our friends can do. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I, Evan or yeah. Evan or or Dinerstein yeah. or Andy Paley yeah. or Sarah Watkins. Like yeah. can't be done. Yeah. I mean they're they're like, is that too high for you? Here, let me bring it down a three, know. you know, a step and it's a half. So and you're like, amazing. Oh my gosh, that would take me two weeks. Right, right. I could do it. It would yeah. take me two weeks. Well that I mean, again, that just sounds like it sort of illustrates that you sort of did you without even necessarily knowing it that you were sort of taking yourself to a place where you could have that eureka moment and go oh this thing that i'm proficient at yeah is was a wonderful stepping you oh. know little little step into this thing that i that i really because i'm sure if you'd been crazy passionate about it yeah it would have evolved differently without it i never would have uh, i wouldn't be sitting here yeah yeah I don't mean I'd be dead. I never get to hear you play music, though. Now I want to sort of... What are you doing this afternoon? We're getting well, you a I'm bespoke a suit I and a pipe. I know I'm getting a pipe. I think, I guess I, I guess I smoke cherry tobacco, if memory serves. Sure. Yeah, why not? If memory serves. Um, okay, I want to get into this MASH game. I can't believe that uh, we've already been speaking for almost 50 minutes. Um, 15 minutes? It doesn't for, even... Oh, nearly 15 <laughs> minutes. Um, I want to get into the MASH game. Uh, okay, so for this MASH game, you know I try to customize my categories, but... Um, I'm not going to make this all about religion. Oh, do <laughs> or Footloose. <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lean on some some perennial favorites as well. But I would like to start by saying, give me three uh, sort of comics or comedy groups that it would have been fun to pop in and perform with. That likely, for one reason or another, that will never happen. Uh, living or dead. I mean, living or dead. Um, Monty Python's Flying Circus. Sure, sure thing. Um, comedy groups. <clears throat> uh, or just like another comedian, or like Buster Keaton, or you know what I mean? Anything like that that sort of has a performance element. Um, people are surprised to hear me say this, but uh, because I have a, ni- a brother nine years older, um, I listened to an awful lot of Cheech and Chong as a kid. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. That is my new favorite thing to imagine. Um, yeah. The, uh, 
Paul F. Tompkins and I just had to do some interviews in New Zealand and, uh, and I said that and he was, he couldn't believe that that was <laughs> a comedic influence of mine. Uh, which is great. That's great. Um, talk about, you know, we talk about different experiences and mm-hmm. the way things drop in and create sides of you that you wouldn't have otherwise. Who knows? And then I think kids in the hall. I, uh, right. I've, you know, been blessed to meet and, uh, get to know at least fully pretty well, but, um, yeah, I think that that was definitely a, a seminal thing for me as a kid. Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, next one is three... Well, because we were sort of joking about this earlier, um, maybe you'll have a fun answer for this because you're very stylish, but three styles that, for whatever reason, aren't something that you can just walk around with today, but it would be kind of wonderful and fun. And let's take comfort off the table. Everything's comfortable in this fiction, in this fictional world I'm creating, but three styles from sort of any era, anything that that would be really fun for you to be able to have or do. Um, I would wear, uh, a suit of armor. Great. I think would be remarkable. I think that would make me feel quite literally invincible. Um, I think that, um, uh, knickers and Argyle socks, like Great. kind of a Payne Stewart, yeah. Scottish golfer kind of thing. Yes. It's something, uh, it, si- slash job for. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I'm right there with you on oh, that I would, style. I would, I would do, do that, that in a heartbeat. If I didn't think I'd get beat up behind the gym. I hear ya. I'd, uh, I'd do that all day. Yeah. So there's like a, so it could be like a, so you got, I see the bottom half. I see the top half as like a V-neck sweater with a, t- a tie, tie and a button down and then maybe a newsboy cap. Kind a little of thing. newsboy Great. Irish touring cap. Love it. Love yeah. it. Um, and then I, I guess from my time in Maine, I would say uh, I feel really good in like an Irish fisherman sweater and uh, foul weather gear, like Great. rubber Grandin bibs. It's great. Yeah. It's great. You know what I will say is an alternate that I won't write down, but I, I certainly haven't had this thought until I asked you this question. And as you were thinking, I was thinking, mm-hmm. I could really see you looking quite smashing in the sort of like Jane Austen era soldier who's not at work, who's wearing like mm-hmm. the gold, like the sort of white pants that are kind of jodhpurs. Yeah. And, you know, just like the presentation, it's not like a Sergeant Pepper, but there's a sense of sort of like a, like a royal blue, yeah. you know, with like a, just some gold buttons, and, I like but that. simple, but, uh, I think it would look great. I could see you at a ball standing, not in a corner, not being a wallflower. I would dress like the, uh, barber catalog, like tweeds and, uh, and green wellies and all of yeah. that as well. That comes That's to great. mind. Oh, I, would I love all of it. All day long. I could uh, all of that stuff. What are you doing this afternoon? Okay. Next category is, um, you know, I'm going to get right into it. Now this is an alternate universe where, uh, in your alternate universe, you have the opportunity to play the field a little bit more, um, with the the, the romantic encounters, Mm -hmm. alternate universe, uh, companion, whatever. Um, three women from any time period, any age, any, uh, and my w- current wife is off leading a fulfilling and meaningful life. Absolutely. Okay, good. Um, Jane Goodall. Adorable. I think she's a meaningful person. Um, I hope someone says I'm a meaningful person. I wonder if anyone's ever described me like that. You are a meaningful person. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most meaningful thigh I've ever been a part of. 
Sing good old. Wonderful. Uh, Princess Diana. Adorable. God, these are great. Um, and then in terms of like current crush. Sure. I worked with Kristen Wiig not long ago. Yeah. I'm a little bit in love with Kristen Wiig right now. It. She, uh, she's like, it's, it's gratifying when you have admired somebody for a long time and then you make eye contact with them, like completely fucking around in a television or film project. And you're like, Oh, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. Like, like we're speaking the same language. Yeah. We both know our job is to mess this up as, as bad as we can. Yeah. And it's the most fun. That's yeah. great. I That's stand great. by those. I stand are, by those. Those are terrific. Months. Okay. Uh, next category will be three places in the world uh, that it would be fun to have sort of a vacation home. Mm. A houseboat on Lake Union mm-hmm. in Seattle. Uh, uh, Chamonix in France. Mm-hmm. We have friends that ski up there in the Alps and... That's a pretty special place where yes. food tastes better and oh, yes. coffee tastes better. Um, and, um, oh, I'll do a recent one. Waiheke Island in uh, outside of Auckland, New Zealand. Good job. Oh, man. Did you go? No, because I was on the road to Taupo, but that's, oh, that's right. That's right. place. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. It's equal parts Hawaii and Ireland. That's like, great. it's really cool. And they grow, you know, they grow grapes and they make terrific wines from them and they make lambs and pigs and they're delicious uh mm. um no that's i love new zealand for that's a great Mm -hmm. way of describing new zealand because i think that's i'm not really an overly tropical person Mm -mm. and i think having that the combination of those two things is maybe why i love it so much too it's a great i've never thought about that way and now i know why i love it so much um Speaking of delicious foods, mm. three foods uh, as extremely specific to, you know, a slice of pizza you can get only one place to pizza in general. Yeah. Three foods that in this alternate universe are uh, not only not bad for you, but they're nutritious. You can have them at the snap of a finger and nothing bad can possibly happen from it. Uh, you mentioned pizza and that is one. I just uh, I just splurged and had pizza overnighted from Bocce's on Bailey in, oh my. in Amherst, New York, where okay. I'm from uh, a few weeks ago. A month ago or so. Wonderful. Um, uh, I wish duck weren't bad for you. Okay. I love eating duck and it's not health food. Yes, that's true. That's great. And um, I have a handful of things that if it's on a menu, I generally order it. And uh, key lime pie is one of those. Great. Key lime pie and lobster rolls. If they're on a menu, I'll generally order them. But yeah. Okay. I put key lime pie on there. I like it. So then you got a little sweet along with your savory. Yeah. Um, okay, three uh, movies that, in fact, are real worlds uh-huh. that you can go into and just be a part of and spend time with the characters as oh, yeah. real people rather than like, oh, you're playing this character in this movie. Oh, okay. Um, wow, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, I'm a meaningful person. You are a meaningful person. Um, <laughs> t- 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 I think Star Wars. Sure. Um, Nobody's going to turn their nose up at that. No. I mean, I know that's fantastic. I uh, I have a handful of movies in my life that I, no matter where I come across them, if I turn on the television, I'll sit down and watch to the yeah, end. Yeah, me too. Um, the Jason Bourne movies are that way for me. I get it. Uh, I would love to be able to... It's great. 
karate some dudes. Absolutely. And have a bag with like every passport. Yeah. And every currency. Yeah. I don't need the handguns so much because I'll be karateing the dudes. You know what I love about that uh, world and what speaks to me about it that I've never thought about before until just now is mm. the idea that it, as messy and as kind of gritty and dirty and complicated of a world as it is, it's also still like, listen, he's the good guy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a tough balance to strike. I think you either have movies where like the good guy's great and the world is kind of just like right. sapied because of it. You know, it's just sort of dulled because right. of that. Or you have like these great movies where the hero is very fucked up and it's very complicated and 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 that, that becomes what the story is about is sort of like the anti-hero or whatever. And mm-hmm. I like that th- that's a really nice balance that, that, that those movies strike, I think. I think it's something in, deep in our psyche. It's like justified violence. Like, yeah. He, I mean, I guess he chose this because he submitted to that program, but uh, he's trying to, the demons that are haunting him are things that he's trying to undo that mm-hmm. were done to him or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and also it's he karate's a lot of dudes. I mean, he really does karate a lot of dudes. dudes. Uh, and then, you know, I can't even think of the name of any of these movies. Oh, this is fun. But it's, uh, is her name Nancy Myers? Like the high, th- they call them high thread count movies. So, oh, <laughs> like, a, like a, it's complicated. It's complicated, or, yeah. Um, yeah, what's like, another one of she's hers? A, she, uh, she's, she's the barefoot contessa, right, right, right. Basically, and she lives in she, a. I, the, was that was uh, uh, something's got to give? Was that something's her? Something's got to give, maybe. Yeah. I do have a real fondness for that movie. No, I mean all of yeah. these, like they're just such great sort of Martha Stewart worlds or yeah. or Ina Garten worlds that I've never heard know, high thread count used to describe that. I read it's that perfect. in an article about mm-hmm. those movies because yeah. they're you know they're they're art directed within an inch of their life, like yeah. Her bed is so tall when she gets in it alone because yes, she's divorced. Yes, yes. She gets in it alone with her laptop or whatever, and you just know that that's you know the it's Egyptian cotton. That's right. It's fifteen hundred thread. Cotton. That's right. Yeah. It can all be purchased from a catalog. You're right. Yeah. Um, I love those movies too because uh, I just like the idea that someone is making movies that people are going to see with women in their sixties who are sexually active. Oh, and makes me very happy. And, get, and men, like, but you know, and super duper sexy and very sexy. Yeah, and very who who are well, who's very in those real and who, I love uh, those Diane mo- Keaton, Diane Meryl Keaton, Streep, Meryl anybody Streep. like that. I would leave yeah. my wife for those women. I totally understand. Yeah, super sexy. Beth, we love you. Uh, okay, <laughs> next category is um, uh, well. Speaking of karate, three skills <laughs> that you wake up with uh, tomorrow that you've sort of downloaded Matrix style. So you wake up and you're an expert in three things. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um. Cooking, uh, like I wish that I had a. Uh, I can cook, but I wish that I were able to. I have a couple of uh, chef friends yeah. that could look in this room and go, <laughs> right. "You hungry?" Yeah, and, and, and put together a combination that you would never yeah. think of. Yeah, and they can also like you know effortlessly whip up something f- using only like flour and onions. Yeah, um, I would like to have a little bit more. You are an improvising chef. Resourcefulness, yes. Perfect. Um, I would like that. I think... Um, downloaded. Uh, diplomacy. Like, like um, I would like to be C-3PO. Mm-hmm. Like, I would like to be able to speak every language and know the cultures mm-hmm. and, and move fluidly around the planet or universe, mm-hmm. if you guys are listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and know how to... 
uh, be diplomatic and and convey um, political desires and cultural desires and and communicate with everybody. I think that would be amazing. And then um, a third one. Uh, I feel like there are so many. Um, I would uh, like to know how to karate dudes. I mean, let's get that in right? there for crying out loud. Because know. just in case you don't go, you don't end up with the born stuff. Yeah, you still want to have. You're giving yourself a higher chance that you'll end up with karate skills. But um, like these are real things, right? Like not time travel and flight, right? Uh, I guess yeah. You know what? I'm going to keep them grounded in that yeah. way. I didn't really uh, say that, but I did, but I do cooking, also do kind of superhero stuff sometimes. Cooking. But I want to be Jason Bourne. Yeah, and. Uh, and languages and, and Great. diplomacy. Yeah. Um, okay. And so the final category will be um, three. I've done this one a couple of times and I like it. Um, three. Uh, three music, like types of music or musicians or bands or composers that, um, you know, when you're driving your car somewhere or you're like, you know, you're on uh, Wahiki Island or whatever, you sort of have this yeah. uh, accompaniment and oh. it's music that doesn't exist right now, but it's composed. It's the soundtrack of your life. It's and music it can that be, doesn't exist? It's like Wilco, but you're Wilco. Like oh. that you've, it's never been heard before or, you know, okay. John Williams, but he de- but he's it, it's sort of you're backed by this. So it's like it's like an expansion of music you already like, but it would just be it's like Mark Jackson's personal? special soundtrack. Okay. Um, it would be, uh, it would be piano jazz. Uh, so Ahmad Jamal or Dave Brubeck or George Shearing or, um, something along those lines, like a a piano trio. Okay. Piano, bass and drums kind of thing. Uh, you're saying as all three or you're saying one version would be that? I think Ahmad Jamal. Like, okay, great. Great. Um, these are bands that can exist? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, in that case, like, my total college soundtrack of, like, Erasure. Great. Um, oh, yeah. Well, you and I got real excited when yes. uh, Erasure was playing in New Zealand. Oh, so good. Great. What was, it. The, was it Chains of Love? What were we singing? No, I think it was uh, of, er, A Little Respect. A Little Respect. Yeah. Yeah, great. To me. So good. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, do I owe you a third? You owe me a third. Um, Dixieland. Great. I played in a Dixieland band in high school, and uh, that will forever be a part of me. It's uh, Boy, that's uh, hard to be in a bad mood. Yeah. Hard I mean, it's, to be in a bad mood. And I think just creatively, it's such a wonderful give and take. I played the piano in the Dixieland band and was never very good at it. But the other guys that I was in with, we were kind of a novelty. It was kids from my high school and we were like juniors in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would get hired around the city to play gigs and stuff because we were decent at it. And um, But like the trumpeter and the trombonist and the clarinetist would all, you know, surf one another and play. Like we got a little bit beyond just what was on the on the sheet music mm-hmm. for a high school Dixieland mm-hmm. band. And they were good at it. And, That's great. Um, it's wonderful. Yeah. How exciting. Okay. Uh, all right. Now to get our uh, final answers on all of us, I just need you to tell me when to stop. And stop. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pause this, do some calculations, <laughs> come back with your 100% guaranteed fictional mash future. Can't wait.
Uh, okay, listen, I'm very pleased with the results of this. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm a doctor looking at a... I wish that your like audience could, could witness the process. The, it's like, hard for me not to give audio... The maniacal process that goes commentary. on. There's a lot of giggling. Uh-huh. <laughs> a lot of glee. Uh, it's a very strange... Yeah. I'm not I'm a child. I can't wait to I'm see what, what is about to happen uh, on this okay. televised podcast. I, I need to figure out where to start, where I want to f- introduce you to uh, this 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 future of yours. My guaranteed future. Your guaranteed future. Um, God, it's just so, there's a lot of just disparate great stuff going on. Uh, the first, well, you know what? The first thing I'll tell you is, you know, Mansion Apartment Shack House. That's what Ma- MASH stands for. Okay. So that's a built-in. So you've, you've ended up with an apartment, which oh. is perfectly respectable. <laughs> While it's not a mansion or house, at least it's not a shack. For sure. This apartment is in uh, Chamonix in the French Alps. Yeah. So I don't know how that works. What's the apartment? Is the apartment above a wonderful patisserie or something? It like could that? be, or a, um, they a refer to them as flats there or chalets. And there you uh, go. yeah, yeah, uh, you have a my, little chalet. My friends have a uh, a flat uh, an apartment, and yes, they could be above a bistro. You don't or... need some huge mansion. You're already in the French Alps. No, I just need a dry room to dry my ski wear. There you go. <laughs> You know what else? Uh, and you're not particularly close by, but you're also not too terribly far away uh, for some of this wonderful um, Irish fisherman cold weather gear that mm-hmm. you're also able. I'm sure some of that can cross over oh, and sure. be effective and helpful oh, in, my gosh, the, yeah. in the cold it's best uh, thing, winter warm and dry. snow. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that's also very easy for me to picture <laughs> and quite delightful. Um, the uh, fact that you can also jump into the world of Star Wars. Yeah. Boy, you got a lot to work with there because there's a lot of different planets, a lot of different climates. Mm-hmm. You got your Ewoks. You do have Ewoks. Yeah. Uh, that's where I would want, probably want to spend time up in the tree houses. Yeah, um, for sure. I don't need a lot of like Gobi Desert. Wait, is that a real thing? Gobi Desert is a real place. That's on our, <laughs> that's on our planet. <laughs> What's the name of his desert? Not Tatooine. Oh, yeah, I guess Tatooine. Yeah. Um, I would like. Sounds like it should be a character in Star Wars. Let's just both admit that right now. It totally should. It's like Yoda's cousin, Gobi. (laughs) (laughs) If I am with the Ewoks, I would like one of those sort of speeders that goes through the woods. If I could have one of those, which I think might belong to the bad guys, but I want one. No, you can take them over. Okay, good. Um, I saw the Ewoks trying to fly one of those. Memory serves. Um, uh, You also can have. your delicious Bocce's pizza. Bocce's pizza. In any of the aforementioned places. Yes. Uh, up to and including on stage with the kids in the hall. Oh, nice. Perform with them. Um, that made me very happy because I just went to their live show. And oh. it's, I mean, Bruce is one of my best friends. I have to oh, say, nice. uh, sometimes, sometimes uh, that puts a, a distance, like a, a removal from your enjoyment. Not in it, but just because you know the person or you know sort of like how their mind works or whatever. Right. I laughed at that live show it's the funniest live show maybe i've ever seen wow and um and it was a bunch of old sketches and some new ones and That's a couple great. that i've done with him when we were doing when we did sketch together wow so that was super surreal like oh scott's saying the words i said once yeah um, That's very so cool. So it was so fulfilling on so many different levels as a huge brag it's not a humble brag at That's all really cool but um but it's very easy for me to just like imagine dropping you right into that and me laughing my head off. Um, I'm in. I'm available. Uh, I know that would make your alternate universe wife, Princess Diana, very proud. <laughs> <laughs> I know she'd be very proud of you. I think she'd think it was a little broad. Uh, I mean, she might. But who knows what her goofy side was like? I bet she had one. You know? I mean, uh, she was married to a man who said he wished he was someone else's tampon. That's pretty wacky. That's true. Yeah. Who knows? Who know? Who can tell with these royals? Huh. Um, and she comes from 
I was going to say humble background. I guess that's not 100% true. It's not. It's, it's 0% true. But at least she wasn't like born in a palace. Was she born in a palace? I don't think so. But she, yeah. But she, she did all right. It's not like he like pulled her out. She wasn't like an Eliza Doolittle. She was te- I'm going to marry the prince. I think she was teaching kindergarten, but I don't think it was for the paycheck. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Uh, and then I want to assure you two final wonderful pieces of news. Number Please. one, uh, you got all the moves of Jason Bourne. Oh, man. Yeah. Karate dudes. Oh, yeah. It's going to come in handy at Star Wars also. Yeah. And this is, <laughs> this is what makes me the happiest is to imagine... <laughs> you imagine you karate chopping Shit. people to erasure to erasure oh i thought it was gonna be dixie <laughs> no, i like it it's even crazier oh, <laughs> amazing broken elbow amazing you broke uh, um that's this is a very pleasing a very very pleasing i have match. a lot to look forward to really in my 100 percent guaranteed future you definitely do there's mm. one final thing you have to look forward to as well it is not erasure but it is tradition that I ask uh, my male guest to sing a snippet of Don Henley's Boys of Summer oh, to take us out. <laughs> and I give no warning whatsoever that that's going to happen. Do you remember any of it? Uh, it matters not at all. Boys of summer and boys of summer, boys of summer. It's great. Summers when boys become boys of the summer. <laughs> And boys of summer, stuff at you and stuff and stuff. That's when the thing went. Boys of the summer. <laughs> and then a guitar plays, I think. That's amazing. It's my new favorite version. I think that, that's I all think I know. That out, is the right song, right? You, yes, it is. And oh, I think you beat out Paul and Storm's uh, beautiful, oh, professional cover of it. With the right words? With the right words. Yeah, they're good Even at still. Stuff. They're so good at that. I mean, yours wins. Boys. Most honorable mention. How does it go? It's like uh, the chorus is, I can see you, your brown skin shining in the sun. Oh my None gosh. Of familiar. <laughs> no. The only time he says boys of summer is at the very end. I can okay. tell you my love for you will still be strong after the boys of the summer. Summer have gone. have gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's about baseball? What's yes. It? Is that's it? right. No. Uh, Okay. Um. Uh. What a joy and a delight. Oh my goodness! You Martin are a Jackson. meaningful person. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Keep saying it. <laughs> um. Uh. People who are not familiar with the thrilling adventure hour, I feel sure that most of you are at this point. I've talked about it uh, enough ad nauseum, but you can certainly check that podcast out. Um. You can find Mark Evan Jackson on Twitter. It's just at Mark Evan Jackson. At Mark Evan Jackson. Yeah. M A R C. Yeah. Don't forget the French spelling, guys. Come on, guys. Please do yourself a huge favor. <laughs> um, uh, what else should we tell the people? You uh, can be seen on many a television program. I've been fortunate to be working. I, uh, I'm coming up at some point soon on a television program that Janet Varney's on called You Are the Worstest. Mm-hmm. We're um, doing, we've got a season two, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't know when this will air. But I, uh, I also have coming up on IFC something that I shot with Kristen Wiig called uh, Spoils Before Dying. Wonderful. The second part in a uh, mini-series series with um, uh, Funny or Die writers and Wolf. Oh, the Spoils of Babylon series. Spoils yeah? of Babylon, Wonderful. folks. Yeah. When does that come out? You know, the summer? July. Uh, That's right. I've been seeing Early July, stuff. yeah. Great. Uh, this will come out before that. Hey, great. Possibly even tomorrow. Oh, good. Watch The Spoils Before Dying on IFC. There you go. Um, uh, I adore you. I adore you back. Listeners, I adore you too. Don't worry. Don't you worry about a thing. Worry a little. 
worry a touch. Lose an hour of sleep. The hour of sleep that you would normally get, lose that. Get seven hours instead of But don't of cheat it with like daylight savings time. No, 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 no. A no, real no. hour. I'll know. Yeah. I'll know. <laughs> As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by The Amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 